재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Time for International News Digest. We're going to get some analysis on some of the major global headlines. First, the nuclear deal with Iran. It's been in place for about a year now. The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action was a result of complex negotiations between Iran and the six powers, the United States, France, Germany, the UK, China and Russia. Secretary of State John Kerry, one of the architects of this accord, believes the deal was uh, something that made the world safer. But contrary to what proponents of the deal would say, uh, some are the critics are saying the deal hasn't resolved many of the concerns surrounding uh, Iranian behavior in the region and around the world. To give us more analysis, uh, very pleased to have joining us uh, from the University of Notre Dame, political science professor Michael C. Desh. Hello. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, thank you for joining us. So we're nearly a year into implementation of this uh, Iran agreement. Um, give us an overview of what you've observed over this past year, please. Well, I think we have to uh, think about two aspects of uh, relationship uh, between uh, the rest of the world and the Islamic Republic of Iran. One is the narrow issue uh, of the status of the Iranian nuclear program. And there I think uh, Secretary of State Kerry's judgment uh, about the uh, effect of the agreement is spot on. Uh, The Iranians uh, have complied with the terms uh, of the agreement. And I think, you know, given that we really had no alternative, uh, the uh, you know, the consensus on uh, the sanctions regime was eroding. And, uh, of course, you know, there always was and remains a military uh, option on the table. Uh, But, you know, really, it wasn't very attractive. So, you know, I think the the agreement in the the narrow terms of uh, dealing with uh, the Iranian nuclear program uh, has been quite successful a year out. Now, some critics say it hasn't, you know, completely dealt with the larger Iranian problem, including uh, Iranian uh, meddling in Iraq, support for Bashar al-Assad in Syria, and support for, you know, various terrorist groups like Hezbollah in Lebanon or Hamas in Gaza. And I think that's both true but also irrelevant. The uh, uh, joint uh, comprehensive uh, uh, program was never intended to fix every problem uh, in terms of Iranian behavior in the larger region. Uh, So I think the the general verdict, uh, you know, is uh, the one that uh, Secretary of State Kerry offered, that uh, it's working as planned. And and you uh, brought up a very interesting point in regards to what the critics say, and the the critics were uh, voicing their opposition in the lead up to the negotiations, during the negotiations, after the signing of the deal, and of course even now uh, as uh, we head into a year of implementation, uh, this idea that um, Iran is part of the uh, so-called axis of evil. You can't trust them. They're going to renege on the deal or they're going to, once the uh, terms are satisfied, they're going to go back to uh, trying to uh, get their hands on nuclear weapons technology. Do those arguments, at least from the uh, the neocon or the, the more hawkish point of view, have some merit? 
Well, you know, I mean, no uh, agreement, uh, you know, is 100 percent reliable. I mean, things could change in Iran. You could have a uh, much more uh, hardline uh, government come to power. Um, You know, our ability to uh, monitor Iranian compliance, I think, is very good, but Mm -hmm. it's not uh, foolproof. Um, but, you know, that's true with, uh, you know, any sort of agreement of this sort that, you know, you enter into. And you always have to balance uh, that uh, uncertainty against the alternatives. And the alternatives were that the international community, uh, and you really needed unanimity uh, among the uh, the big powers uh, on the sanctions regime for that to work, um, and the military option, uh, which you know remains on the table, is quite unattractive. And by the way, uh, you know, if, if we did, uh, if we or if the Israelis did use military force against the Iranians, there's no guarantee that that would fix the problem uh, over the longer term. Sure. So, you know, I think in terms of the the grand scheme uh, of uh, you know the uh, alternative. Uh, approaches that we could pursue, the agreement looks like the best option. Not perfect, but better than the alternatives. And the people who support the deal and say that Iran is sufficiently incentivized, uh, particularly economically, whether it's the unfreezing of billions of dollars in assets abroad, uh, re-entering the the oil markets and some of the other uh, restrictions that have been put in place, it'd be pretty tough to, I suppose, stuff the genie back in the bottle in that aspect as well, right? Yeah, and, you know, that's the thing uh, that critics, I think, often uh, tend to ignore, that, uh, you know, they're uh, across a lot of the political spectrum in Iran, there was a desire to, uh, you know, get out from under uh, the sanctions regime and, you know, be more uh, integrated into the uh, global economy. Also, you know, Iran is by no means a democracy, but, you know, in terms of the Middle East, it's more democratic than a lot of other states. So it's not the case that the Iranians are, you know, monolithic in terms of, you know, pursuing the sort of foreign policy in the region, you know, that gives us so much heartburn. So, you know, I, I think it's no guarantee, and this wasn't part of the uh, original conception for the nuclear deal, but, you know, I think it's possible that after a period of time of normalization of relations, uh, with its neighbors and with the United States that you could see, you know, more durable political change within Iran. Um, and that's, you know, sort of a byproduct of this agreement. This is an international agreement, uh, meaning that you would assume it would abide by international norms, international law in terms of its mandates. Uh, Politically speaking, is there anything that could upend this? Uh, Let's say hypothetically in Iran, uh, we have Rouhani, who is known as being more of a moderate, a pragmatist. Um, If he let's say, gets replaced by another Ahmadinejad type of figure. And let's say in the United States we have an election coming up and you have a candidate like uh, Donald Trump who says he's going to tear up the agreement in his first day in office. Are those factors perhaps cause for concern, however unlikely it may be? 
Yeah, no, I mean, uh, political change uh, in either country, you know, could imperil the agreement. Um, but I think it's, you know, I think it's unlikely. I mean, once agreements are set, and particularly uh, once uh, vested interests uh, in more normal relations develop, particularly within Iran, it's going to be harder and harder to, as you said before, put the genie back into uh, the bottle. Um, and so, you know, the, the again, the, you know, the agreement is sort of an orphan in American politics. Neither of the two candidates are big fans of it. I mean, uh, mm. Donald Trump is, you know, more vocally critical of it. But remember, uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was also quite skeptical of it. But they're right. both, you know, e either one of them, if they're uh, elected president, are going to be presented with something of a fait accompli. Mm. And again, given that the alternatives to the agreement uh, are even less attractive, uh, I would be uh, shocked if, uh, you know, in fact, uh, a President Trump tore it up on the first day. Hmm. Uh, final question. Do you believe in the long term, and obviously difficult to uh, predict the future here, but uh, this deal will hold? Yeah, I do believe uh, that it uh, that it will uh, hold because, uh, again, it's not a perfect deal from the perspective of either side, uh, but it's better uh, than the alternatives. For the Iranians, you know, having a rudimentary nuclear capability, but, you know, uh, crushing economic sanctions uh, just doesn't buy you much. And this is a country with a large and restive population, so public opinion has to be taken into account uh, at least somewhat. And from the perspective of the United States, given attitudes in Europe, uh, and given uh, the downside of the alternatives, uh, I think we'll, uh, you know, we'll proceed with it as well. All right, we're going to leave it there. Professor Dash, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Have a great day. Professor Michael C. Dash from the University of Notre Dame. Let's move on to our next story. We're talking about U.S. politics now. The major political event going on right now is the Republican National Convention in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, this is where the party will formally choose their presumptive nominee for the presidency, Donald Trump, who will be running in the election against the presumptive Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. Uh, in the rollout to this major event, uh, Donald Trump did uh, finally decide on his vice presidential running mate, and it is Mike Pence, the governor of Indiana. Uh, there were some other names on the list, perhaps some better known than others. What we want to do is get a bit of an assessment on this decision, and we're very pleased to have actually someone joining us uh, from Indiana, uh, public affairs and philanthropy professor Leslie Lenkowski of Indiana University. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor. Uh, our audience here in uh, South Korea, the the vast majority, uh, not intimate necessarily with local Indiana politics. Um, Mike Pence, uh, perhaps not a household name to a lot of people, even in the United States. Could you tell us a little bit about him, please? Well, he was a uh, radio and television broadcaster before he went into politics. He served six terms in the House of Representatives, including uh, leadership of various conservative groups within the House. 
and for the past four years he's been governor of the state of indiana and uh done a reasonably good job though he's had you know some problems as any as one would expect this um selection and i know there's a lot of uh political calculation that's involved in this uh there were apparently other members of the uh, i guess part of this short list including chris christie including newt gingrich uh, one a uh, governor of new jersey one the former uh, speaker of the house uh, ultimately mike pence was deemed to be by the uh, I suppose by the the pundit class as the uh, the safe choice the the one I, or if you're not a fan of Donald Trump the the, the least crazy choice uh, he is uh, well liked by the conservative wing of the party he has uh, well established relations with Congress uh, was that basically the calculation that this was not necessarily Donald Trump's personal choice who he would have gone for but now that it is run. Uh, somewhat professionally that this was the choice made by the higher-ups in his campaign to say this gives us a viable shot at the general election? Well, I don't know if it was, if Mike was or was not the personal choice. Uh, Donald Trump says he was, and I'm, I don't know any different. But it's certainly a very conventional way to choose a vice president. The most important factor, I think, is that Governor Pence endorsed uh, Donald Trump's opponent, Senator right. Ted Cruz, in the decisive Indiana primary. It is not unusual to find uh, presidential nominees choosing people who supported, or in some cases were even their opponents, as their running mates in an effort to unify the party. Uh, I would call this a, a quite a conventional pick from a man who's not known for being conventional about politics. Um, And uh, so in that sense, it's reassuring. Uh, Mr. Trump's been saying for some time that he would show that he could be presidential, and this is uh, certainly an example of that. Right, and uh, the only reason I mentioned why it may not have been his personal choice was there seemed to have been reporting from various media outlets uh, who seem to have some decent sourcing um, to a last-minute change of heart where he was inquiring about trying to walk back uh, the the selection. Uh, They did have um, media interviews, uh, one prominent one, 60 Minutes, uh, where they did talk. There was some talk about whether they uh, have the right chemistry as of now. There do seem to be some very real issues that they do fundamentally disagree, whether it's trade, uh, whether it's other issues, maybe even some social issues. Are, are these things, in your view, just just things that they just have to work around, or do you think that they could become problematic as they get onto the campaign trail? Very unlikely to become problematic. In 1980, George H.W. Bush ran for president and denounced Ronald Reagan's economic policies as voodoo economics. As we know, George H.W. Bush wound up being the running mate to uh, nominee Reagan. Uh, Governor Pence also is obviously on things like immigration and trade, taken very different positions than Donald Trump did, but they're not unbridgeable. And in any case, at the end of the day, the job of the vice presidential candidate and the vice president, should they be elected, is to support the policies of the president, to be what we call a good soldier. Uh, Joe Biden has done that uh, with respect to Barack Obama, although there were differences between Mm -hmm. the two of them as well. So it's not unusual. 
And there are, and I know that there are different schools of thought here where one side will say the selection of the vice president really does not move the needle in any way in terms of the the prospects of that uh, candidate's chances. Uh, a lot of people make a strategic choice as to a state, uh, whether it's in play. Indiana, for, for the most part, is not necessarily a, a swing state. Is that Would that be correct? That's correct, but the greater Midwest is, and in particular... Uh, states like Ohio and Michigan are very much contested uh, states for the uh, upcoming election. Now, whether or not a Midwestern governor can uh, be an effective uh, ally outside his own state remains to be seen. But I think um, uh, for Republicans, uh, doing well in the Midwest is critical. Uh, and uh, to that extent, Governor Pence could be seen as something of an electoral advantage, although I think the general rules likely to be true that vice presidential picks are far less important than the presidential nominee. You do see the path uh, for victory for Donald Trump to be that what what people are terming the Rust Belt, right? Then um, the, he, he won't necessarily uh, – he will win the typical red states in the south. Um, he may not be competitive on the coast, but uh, if he can – uh, I guess, pick up a few of the states that Obama won in 2008 and t- 2012. That is really where he has got to thread the needle to win this election? Yes, I think that is definitely the strategy. As far as then the Democratic side is concerned, as I mentioned, they, uh, the Republican National Convention is being held right now in Ohio. They will be introducing uh, Mike Pence uh, uh, soon. Uh, with with Hillary Clinton, and although I guess the polls are jumping around all over the place and there will be some uh, convention bounce uh, both ways, uh, does this change the uh, calculation for her? A lot of people had felt maybe you need to go with a bold choice to try to shore up those uh, Bernie Sanders voters, the progressive wings of the party, someone like an Elizabeth Warren. Other people saying maybe a safe choice would be better now that you're somewhat in the lead, a guy like Tim Kaine. Do you think the Mike Pence decision affects her decision as to who she thinks would be a suitable running mate? Probably not. It probably, uh, with with the Republican ticket being uh, solidly conservative, uh, there might be a calculation that the Sanders uh, people will have nowhere to go if they don't vote for Hillary Clinton. But again, I think uh, the electoral map is going to be the more decisive factor. Uh, Senator Kane would be my bet right now for the nominee mm-hmm. because the border states of uh, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, those are going to be the contested ones uh, for the Democrats. Kentucky as well? So to, what? Ken- Kentucky, Kentucky as, as well? well? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, Kentucky actually has been going back and forth mm-hmm. between Republican and Democratic governors in the last right. couple of years. Um, so um, those will be contested, and in much the same way, uh, her husband Bill Clinton selected a Tennessean as his running mate. I would not be the least surprised if um, Secretary Clinton found a Virginia senator as 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 one that gives her a better chance to win those border states. Uh, the other problem with some of the people uh, named 
uh, Senator Booker mm-hmm. uh, of New Jersey, Senator Brown of Ohio, and Senator Warren, is all of them are in states that currently have Republican right. governors. So that if they should be elected, uh, the governor would have the power to appoint their replacements. And right now, uh, from the point of view of the Democratic National Committee, winning control of the Senate is almost as high a priority as winning the presidency. And on that note, just a quick follow-up as a final question then. The Senate is uh, up for grabs. Uh, the decision by Evan Bayh to run in Indiana, former governor, former senator, do you feel that race is competitive? Oh, it's absolutely competitive. There is a poll out this morning. It was commissioned by the Democratic Party of the state, so it needs to be mm-hmm. taken with a grain of salt that shows uh, by very far ahead of his opponent, Todd Young. I'm sure things will tighten up. It's important to remember that uh, Evan Bayh has not run for an election in Indiana since 2004. Right. That's 12 years ago. The electorate's changed a lot since then. Very interesting. Professor Lankowski, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye.